Every iconic hero has yeah. their superpowers, whether that's their fancy flying suit made by their genius intellect or the ability to call down thunder from the sky. In the real world, heroes have what I call a zone of genius, which is either a skill or a set of skills that were born with and you developed over the course of your career. It really sets you apart. It allows you to slay the villains for your clients, that kind of stuff, come on top of their own journeys. And the way I like to frame it for my guests is, if you look at all the skills that you've developed over the course of running Meteora for the last 20 years, you probably have a common thread that sort of ties all those skills together. And that's probably where you find your superpower. So with that framing, what do you think your superpower is as the founder of your company? Before I started this company, I was doing freelancing and consulting. And what I visualized as the kind of perfect role for me at that time was a liaison between the customers who have their problems and the technology that can solve those problems. And being able to interpret the issues that they're having in the language that they're comfortable speaking and translating it to something that means something to a person that speaks technology that can then allow these ideas to surface of solutions for it. And having the wherewithal to sometimes correct a person on either side of maybe you're approaching this the wrong way or maybe there's a better way to do this with grace and tact so that at the end of it, you get this beautiful product that fixes the issue they had that's potentially better than what they started with in terms of what their idea for an ideal solution was. And everybody really feels good about it. And at no point does anybody feel like they didn't get their way because they're all happier with what occurred as a result of that. When you can do that for the most complex of things, like a custom piece of custom software, it becomes a little bit easier to do it for a marketing campaign or a lead generation campaign because it's generally less technical are an inspiring group of people. Every one of them from the larger-than-life comic book heroes you see on the big silver screen, the everyday heroes that let us live the privileged lives we do. Every hero has a story to tell, from the doctor saving lives at your local hospital, the war veteran down the street who risked his life for our freedom, to the police officers and the firefighters who risk their safety to ensure ours. Every hero is special and every story worth telling. But there is one class of heroes that I think is often ignored. The entrepreneur, the creator, the producer, the ones who look at the problems in this world and think to themselves, you know what, I can fix that. I can help people. I can make a difference. Then they go out and do exactly that by creating a new product or introducing a new service. Some go on to change the world. Others make a world of difference to their customers. Welcome to The Hero Show. Join us as we pull back the masks on the world's finest heropreneurs and learn the secrets to their powers, their success, and their influence. So you can use those secrets to attract more sales, make more money, and experience more freedom in your business. I'm your host, Richard Matthews, and we are on in three, two, one. Hello and welcome back to The Hero Show. My name is Richard Matthews. Today I have live on the line Andrew Abersold. Andrew, are you there? I'm here. Hello. Awesome. Glad to have you here. I know before we get too far into this, I always like to give a brief introduction. So you are the CEO at Meteora. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. I started Meteora 20 years ago and founder and CEO. Awesome. 20 years is a long time to run a company. Most people, they say most businesses don't make it past like the first to five years. So 20 years is a long time to be running a company. It feels like a long time, but uh, it's a great success. And I will tell you, I feel like I've reinvented it probably four times in those 20 years. That's awesome. So what I want to get into first is what is it that you guys are known for? And, you know, the question sets up who you are now. What's your business like? Who do you serve? What do you do for them? That's a good question. I think uh, it's very valid that I just said it's reinvented itself four times over the past 20 years because when we started out, we were building web applications, uh, a lot of back-end software, partnered with advertising agencies, uh, building things to make their jobs easier and more efficient with their clients. Um, and that evolved because once somebody knows you're the digital guy or whatever, 
uh, they'll come to you, hey, uh, what search engine optimization? Can you build a website? Back then, there was a lot of flash animation. Can you make this flash thing do something cool or whatever? And we just kind of evolved as our industry evolved to the point where, you know, we were doing social media, we're doing mobile apps, we're just literally doing too much. And so more recently, we've tried to figure out, okay, how can we scale this back and be a little bit more intentful and specific with what we're going to focus on? And uh, that's when we realized our area of expertise is primarily behavioral healthcare in terms of which industry or which vertical and lead generation. We're great at marketing, digital marketing for a variety of industries, and we've got a lot of experience doing those, but that's probably the one where we go the deepest, if you will. Awesome. And so you guys have started to shift focus to narrow down to just that industry recently? Well, we're focusing on growing in that particular industry, and we're maintaining and servicing clients in a variety of other industries for the short term, mainly because we want to make sure that we're going to be successful in this pivot, but also because we like the diversification. We saw a huge hit, or we took a huge hit when COVID happened. A lot of businesses shut down, and we had what we thought was a very well-diversified portfolio, but a lot of that ended up being in tourism and travel and hospitality and food and beverage. And those were probably some of the heavier hit uh, businesses that year. So we're continuing to maintain that diversity and explore other opportunities, but putting the effort in new business acquisition in behavioral healthcare. Nice. Yeah. And COVID definitely hit a lot of industries really hard. So the fact that you guys not only survived that, but are continuing to grow afterwards is, you know, it says something about the type of company you guys are running and the results you get for clients. So yeah, I'd say resiliency is maybe one of our stronger skills. We weathered the storm for the housing crisis where a lot of businesses scaled back. The same thing with COVID, the after COVID kind of this hint of a recession, if you will, all of it's been challenging, but we've weathered those storms and continue to grow. Yeah, absolutely. So what I want to get into then is your origin story, right? Every good comic book hero has an origin story. It's the thing that made them into the hero they are today. And so we want to hear that story. Were you born a hero? Were you, you know, bit by a radioactive spider that made you want to get into digital marketing and app building and whatnot? Or did you start in a job and eventually move to become an entrepreneur? Basically, where did you come from and how did you get Meteora started? Yeah, I definitely wasn't born a hero. At least I don't think so. Maybe they'll change that story 50 years from now when I'm gone. Who knows? But the crazy things that when I was coming out of high school, even I was already running businesses. So I knew there was an entrepreneurial spirit. It's just what kind of business I wanted to run. And uh, ideally, it had to be some type of creative outlet. I really wanted to go into music, for example, back then. And I kept saying, I don't want to do computers. I don't want to do computers. I was great at computers. I was great at programming. I was great at a systems administration, internet connectivity, all these kind of things in the 90s that were kind of just coming around. Uh, and so it's odd that I ended up starting a digital marketing agency that's you know centered around computers in 2003, when the seven years prior to that, I said, I don't want to do anything with computers. But I think sometimes you know it's destined to happen. You kind of gravitate towards those things, whether you're intentionally doing it or not, because all the decisions you're making, all the stuff that you're doing is kind of culminating into kind of this path and the path that I went on was starting this company called Meteora. And, you know, just like I said a few minutes ago, it's been a winding path. We've done a lot of things for a lot of different people. But the thing that kind of I've always come back to is that I always liked helping people. I genuinely like to help people, especially if they're stuck or they've got a problem or there's something that I can help them overcome. 
And I've been able to do that with technology for 20 plus years now by helping them figure out why their campaign's not working, why their website's broken, why, you know, this app wasn't working when we were still focused heavy on mobile apps. And so the the underlying principle of helping people has always been there because that's, I think that's really what my calling has been. So I don't think it, it was something I in, intended to set out and do. I didn't start out one day and say, hey, I'm going to start this company or whatever. It just kind of organically happened. So to get a little more granular on that, a little more specific, 2003, I meet my future wife and she sees kind of what I'm doing from a consulting standpoint. And I kind of mentioned, hey, I've got this idea of doing something a little bit more formal with it. And she kind of gave me the courage and the nudge I needed to stop just talking about it and actually do something. And we basically started Meteora together that year. She's a huge part of our success from the guidance, intuition, understanding the personal side of the relationships that you build when you're growing a business, because that was a weak spot for me. I was really good with computers and technology, not always as, you know, well-rounded when it comes to having conversations or reading the room or understanding, you know, what the real driving factor is in this business deal. Like, what are they trying to accomplish? I was a little naive to those things. And so together we were able to, to use our powers to take this, you know, little pipe dream, if you will, and grow it into something that's, you know, impacted a lot of lives, both on the, the client side, their clients, our team members, et cetera. So Definitely not bitten by a spider, unfortunately. <laughs> no, but I love the story too, just especially, you know, the talk of just wanting to help people. That's one of the reasons we run this podcast is to show that, you know, entrepreneurs really are out to add their value to the world and to make the world a better place with, with your unique skill sets. And I love that you, you and your wife, you know, sort of use each other's superpowers, so to speak, to make a, a better team. I know, you know, my wife and I, for the better part of almost 15 years now, we decided a while ago that we can't actually work together. We do a great job running the house together. But if I ever had to like, if we had to work together as a team in the business, we would probably end up killing each other. So we have a nice separation there, (laughs) but it's nice that you can do that with your (laughs) wife. So, but yeah, same kind of thing. I have to hire people on my team that help support the areas that I'm weak, you know? So for me, it's like, project management and that kind of stuff and making sure that deadlines are hit because I'm more of a here's the vision here's what we're going to do kind of person (laughs) and you know systems development but when it comes down to actually like implementing I need implementers so yeah and that's been huge for us this past year is you know we switched and started implementing EOS as a company and realized I'm that visionary person that you're describing and I need a team of people that can you know, support me and, and mainly the integrator that can keep the trains running on time, if you will. And that's been a huge part of, you know, our more recent success of becoming a more grown up company, if you will. I mean, yeah. you think, okay, 20 years, why weren't you a grown up company 15 years ago? Well, that's not always how it works. You know, sometimes you don't realize things at the, the time when it might seem obvious that you should. And one of those was, you know, I'm maybe not the most reliable person on our team to consistently do the same things over and over every day. But if you need something solved and there's a complicated issue around it, I'm the one to come in there and use my technical abilities and creativity to figure it out. And, you know, that's kind of my superpower, I guess, if, if you're sticking with the hero yeah. kind of concept, right? Yeah, that's one of the things that cracks me up because like we do, we provide a very consistent service for our clients, right, with the podcast agency. And so there's a lot of like, we do the same thing over and over again on deadlines and that kind of stuff which is the opposite of my superpower. 
<laughs> like I just can't do that at all. But anytime there's a problem, like solving it and fixing it and like, you know, coming up with unique solutions, like that's where I shine and like helping develop the systems, like developing a system is really complicated and hard. And so like, I'm good at that part. And then like actually running the system, not good at that part at all. <laughs> so I have to have people who are good at that. And so, yeah, I feel you there. Well, I think that the other part of this that is worth pointing out, well, besides the fact that I keep thinking of the old Vanilla Ice song, when we say, if there's a problem, like, check out the hook, my DJ fixes it or whatever it is, I keep thinking this song in my head. Like, But the other part of it is acknowledging where you are weak and then doing what you can to either grow or learn from that or staffing around it. Yeah. So I've spent a lot of time the past you know, five years just absorbing book after book, podcast after podcast, you know, anything I can, YouTube videos on growing as a leader, growing as somebody that can communicate well, because I realized, okay, well, I'm not maybe always saying the, the right things or doing the right things with interpersonal communication. How can I get better at that? And I think that's one of the things that led us to include continuous improvement in our list of core values here at Meteora, because I realized that's kind of what I want us to be about, to always try to be better, to realize that you know, you're never going to be the best, but you can always strive to be better, you know, today than you were yesterday. And I think that's incredibly important, especially in a field of technology where it's always evolving, right? Yeah, absolutely. So what I want to dive into then is you mentioned a second ago is your superpowers. And, you know, every iconic hero has yeah. their superpowers, whether that's their fancy flying suit made by their genius intellect or the ability to call down thunder from the sky. In the real world, heroes have what I call a zone of genius, which is either a skill or a set of skills that you were born with or you developed over the course of your career that really sets you apart. It allows you to, you know, to slay the villains for your clients, that kind of stuff, come on top of their own journeys. And the way I like to frame it for my guests is if you look at all the skills that you've developed over the course of running Meteora for the last 20 years, you probably have a common thread that sort of ties all those skills together. And that's probably where you find your superpower. So with that framing, what do you think your superpower is as the founder of your company? You know, I tried to, before I started this company, I was doing freelancing and consulting. And what I visualized as the kind of perfect role for me at that time was a liaison between the customers who have their problems and the technology that can solve those problems and being able to interpret the issues that they're having in the language that they're comfortable speaking and translating it to something that means something to a, a person that speaks technology that can then allow these ideas to surface of solutions for it. And having the wherewithal to sometimes correct a person on either side of maybe you're approaching this the wrong way, or maybe there's a better way to do this with grace and tact so that at the end of it, you get this beautiful product that fixes the issue they had that's potentially better than what they started with in terms of what their idea for an ideal solution was. And everybody really feels good about it. And at no point does anybody feel like they didn't get their way because they're all happier with what occurred as a result of that. When you can do that for the most complex of things, like a custom a piece of custom software, it becomes a little bit easier to do it for a marketing campaign or a lead generation campaign because it's generally less technical even though there are some heavy technical aspects to it that we do, especially with the evolution of machine learning and AI, but it, it takes the confusion out of it and it gives everybody this sense of clarity. And 
I realized that not everybody has the ability to kind of see all of that stuff. And it's really almost surreal when I think about it. That's essentially what the name Meteora was all about. It's that we see kind of the unseen aspects. We see the whole picture of somebody. If you think of the concept of an aura, like I'm seeing everything about this. Now let me kind of make it work for you. Yeah. When I'm able to get in and do that, the results are tremendous for the client, for my team, everybody. It's an amazing thing. I wish I could clone myself to do more of that, which has always been an issue with scaling this company. But I think that is one of my superpowers and I can do it for our business, but I can also do it when, you know, setting up a business, right? I had to be able to see this for our company as well. So I, I would say that's really what comes to mind. Yeah. And I love the idea of a translator almost as a superhero, because it's an interesting skill set that doesn't get talked about a lot, but it's always, it's, I've noticed it a lot in a lot of companies that I've worked with that you have to have the person that knows how to speak more than one language. And so like one of the examples that comes to mind for me is my dad was an engineer and a scientist. And so I learned a lot of like being able to speak that world. And, you know, my brother ended up becoming a mechanic and like, they're both really good in that area. And then I got into marketing, which was, you know, that's the, you know, the psychology and everything and all those kind of things. And I, I ended up at, a couple of years ago working for a solar company, a regional solar company in Southern California. And they were developing a, their engineers were developing a product for manufacturers that allowed manufacturers to learn exactly how much energy a particular out, you know, item came from their, came out of their, their manufacturing plants. And I remember I spent probably six weeks with their engineers because they're like, we need to figure out how to sell this to the marketplace because it's super powerful. It does all sorts of cool things. And like, and you know, I, six weeks of like the engineers telling me all the cool things that it did. And I it, just forever of trying to figure out, okay, what is it that you're actually offering here? And I, and they would give me like a six hour presentation of like, this is how they would sell it to someone. I'm like, nobody cares about any of those things. <laughs> and when it came right down to it, it was, it's energy cost of goods sold right? Because a manufacturer knows what their cost of goods sold is, but what they don't know generally, and they can't, couldn't tell until this, until they developed this set of software and stuff was that they could tell the energy cost of goods sold, like all the way down to like each loaf of bread, how much, how much energy it costs to make this loaf of bread. And so they could include that on a spreadsheet and track it. And it was like, it was, you know, ECOGS, it was one word. And it took me like six weeks, but it's like a superpower to be able to understand all these things that they're telling you and then turn it into something that another human being would understand. <laughs> and it's a skill of translation. And so like when you see it, when you have it, like it can make all the difference in the world. And that went on to become a multi-million dollar product, but they couldn't figure out how to sell it until someone who knew how to translate could come in and be like, okay, here's all the things that you're saying <laughs> and here's what the market actually cares about. Yeah, that's tremendous. And congratulations on that success, because uh, I'm sure they appreciated it after they were able to figure out how to better position that in the marketplace. I mean, that's exactly what it's all about, right? These, especially when it comes to the tech side. Yeah, I've always found that it's interesting because a lot of developers, they can develop to, you know, a set of guidelines. Okay, tell us what you need to build and we'll build it. But not a lot of developers can look at the problem and then understand all the tools in the universe that they have at their disposal to fix that problem. And that's been one of the things that I've been blessed with is that since I have a development background myself, I was able to pick those tools out and say, okay, what if we use this to do that? And prior to that conversation, somebody might be saying, well, that doesn't exist or we can't do that, or I don't know how to do it. And the same has been true when it comes to 
digital platforms. You know, even if you're getting into your Google ads, you may think that since you've done your certification and you use the system every day, you really know how to use it. But there are tools available there that your average person doesn't know about and your Google rep doesn't know about that if you understand how to tap into and leverage on behalf of your client, you can get results that are significantly better than the average. And it's not that you had to necessarily create something new. You just had to know how to match yeah. the right things up. And that becomes part of that translation as well. Yeah. And that translation bit is just, you know, I, I've experienced it a couple of times and I've gotten pretty good at it in a couple of areas that I'm, that I work in. Right. And so like the biggest thing now is, you know, we've narrowed our focus down to just like the podcasting agency. And so, you know, where I used to have to like try and learn all the things that you could learn about, you know, the different areas that we worked in, I would read as many books and learn as much of the language as I can so I could try and translate back and forth. Now we do just the one thing. So it's like, how does storytelling impact your business? <laughs> and it's like just mm -hmm. those two areas. And so it simplified my life a little bit. But it's definitely if you're listening to this and you have all, have been struggling with how to get your message to the market, finding someone who knows, knows how to translate from one language to another, you know, even though we're all speaking English, so to speak, you know, the way that you talk about development or the way that you talk about campaigns or the way that you talk about, you know, if you're a doctor or a lawyer or, you know, you run a, a behavioral, what was it you said, behavioral, behavioral healthcare, yeah. healthcare, like they have a specific world and a language and everything that they think about and they talk about. And it's like, even in the world of marketing, like you go from a doctor's office to a pest control person, they don't talk about their leads the same way. Right. And so you have to know no. how to communicate to them, like, you know, because they're talking about, you know, patients and a pest control right. is talking about backyards and stuff like that. And you know, those are like simple things, but you have to be able to speak multiple languages. So, yeah, you do. And, and, and that's what's made it difficult to make the decision to streamline our operations. I applaud you for being able to do it, because if you can do it, I think your business is always better when you can simplify it and streamline it to focus on you know, either one specific service or a particular industry. It's harder when you have so much, I don't want to say baggage, but when you have a history of servicing so many different places, we have that expertise in food and beverage, spirits, you know, hospitality, legal. We've got some really niche industries where we do amazing B2B lead generation. And that's all from a 20 year history of culminating to it. So it's hard to pick one, right? Yeah. When you say, oh, I'm going to lean into my behavioral healthcare side, but you're absolutely right that each of those speaks their own language. And if you show up to the table and you don't understand, you know, ADC or VOB or, you know, how they're getting, you know, their leads, patient acquisition, those types of things, you feel alienated. You feel like you're at a disadvantage because marketing is not the same for everyone. It's not only a different language, but it's also often a different process. Yeah, you may use some of the same tools, but they're very different things. And so while we're amazing at a lot of those, it's hard for us to scale our operation doing all of those things for so many different people. So, so I think uh, the evolution of our company is going to have good, to uh, a good place to ask you about the flip side of your superpower, which is always, of course, your fatal flaw. Right? You know, just like every Superman has his kryptonite or Wonder Woman has her bracelets of victory, she can't remove without going mad. You probably had a flaw that's held you yeah. back in your company, something you've struggled with. For me, it was things like perfectionism kept me from shipping product because I was like, we could always speak it a little bit more before we ship something and then you never ship anything. So you've not done anything. Or yeah. for me, one of the other ones was not having a good relationship with boundaries. So like not good boundaries with my clients, not good boundaries with my time and things like that. And would, you know, keep me from 
I'd let my clients walk all over me or let, you know, work 12, 15 hours a day and have no relationship with my family and kids and stuff like that. And learning how to fix those things actually improved, you know, revenue, improved growth and all those kind of things. So I think more important than the flaw is how have you worked to overcome them? And hopefully sharing a little bit of your experience will help our audience learn from you. I think that some of them that you referenced are relevant to me too. You know, boundaries and things like that were probably more of an issue in the past. They still crop up every now and then. I think the common denominator is, you know, since I have this desire to help people, it's hard for me to ever say no, because I do want to help people. And so that's the thing that would catch me out the most is that somebody has an issue, they want help. I would say, let's do it. My team would look at me and say, is that client too small for us? Or, you know, don't we have other things that we're already committed to in this timeline? How can we stop that and help this person too? And then I would end up, you know, burning the candle at both ends, so to speak, to try and really help them out. And there was an adrenaline rush or a high that you would get from the feeling of helping someone out of that tough spot that you think they're going to be so, you know, grateful for you in doing it. And sometimes it's there and it's genuine and, and you build a long-term relationship. And sometimes no matter what you do, they just don't seem to appreciate, you know, what you've done to help them out or that, you know, you've gone out on a limb for them. And that can create some friction and an unpleasant experience for everyone. So I realized, okay, well, not everyone is going to see the benefit of this. It's maybe not worth it to burn myself out and try to do it in this particular case, but I couldn't, still couldn't say no. Yeah. Right. I, still, I just I would know going into it, I'm probably going to get burned on this one. I'm going to do it. I'm going to help them. But, you know, I can't say no. Well, that's when I feel like having some parameters from a business standpoint helps you say, you know, should we be doing this? And so a great tool from EOS, for example, in the VTO was, is this client in our VTO? You know, do they fit who we're supposed to be working with? And if that answer is no, then I say to myself, okay, I can't do it because we've all collectively agreed from a leadership team standpoint not to do this. So I'm not going to do that. Having those rules set up helped me overcome my flaw or my weakness of having a problem telling people no, because I wanted to help them out. Yeah. Such an interesting thing to learn how to do. And I know, you know, like my business grew because I said yes to everything. And like, that's a bad lesson to learn as a business owner. <laughs> yeah. And I know for probably the first decade of, of growth, it was like, if I just learn all the things and like, I was saying yes to things that were like in the world of marketing, but still like, that's a humongous world. <laughs> and so you build, you know, oh, same, it's huge. yeah, the same kind of thing you were talking about where you have lots of services and lots of different areas and different industries and whatnot. Um, and, whatnot. and what's fascinating to me is learning how to say yes and learning how to say no have been some of the most impactful areas in my business. And so when we narrowed our focus down from doing lots of things in marketing to just doing the podcast agency, that it really helped with the whole what to say yes and no to, and or what to say no to more specifically. I was like, okay, if it's not in this world, it's just a no. And so that was the easier of the two things to learn. And then the harder part of what to learn was for me was how to, what then do you say yes to? So what was interesting to me, I have a, a good friend of mine. He's on this podcast a couple of months, probably a couple of years ago now. His name's Lucas Root, and he works for the Pokemon company. And he's added several billion dollars to their bottom line. And so when he gives me advice, I tend to listen to it. And so one of the things he said to me this last year, 
It was the beginning of January of 2023. And I was like, I really want to grow this year. What's your advice? And he was like, say yes till it hurts and then fix the pain. And it was one of those things that I was, I don't know what that means because I had just like, I had just gotten to the point where I was like getting good at saying no to all these things. And then one of these guys who's really successful is telling me to say yes to more. And so what came, what for me, what I had to learn was like, what, what does it mean to say yes till it hurts and then fix the pain? And what it came down to for me was saying yes to opportunities inside of our market. So things like, you know, speaking events and lead gen opportunities and other things that are like, you know, when you get to a certain size in business, you get hit up all the time with, you know, cold outreach from people that are like, hey, we can do this for you. We do this for you. And what I started doing was just like, if it was even anywhere in our world, I would just say yes to it and then figure out what would, you know, what happened on the other side. So things like, you know, I spoke at like on eight different stages last year and spoke at a few different conferences, um, virtual conferences and spent way more money than I ever thought I would on marketing things from different, you know, cold outreach stuff and all that sort of culminated in like, we had that eight and a half X revenue growth I was telling you about before we got on the call. And it was a big lesson for me in learning that like, you have to learn both how to say no to anything that's outside your world. Like if it doesn't fit, it's just an automatic no. And then how do you say yes? And so how for me learning how to say yes was like, okay, I say yes to something until it just barely stretches the limits. And then you have to work on immediately fixing that pain. So that's systems or people that you can put in place to mitigate all the things that you've just said yes to. <laughs> So anyways, that's sort of my thought on that. That's a good way to look at it. I mean, it's definitely flipping the perspective a little bit. I'm glad that you were able to put some qualifiers on the saying yes, because somebody that maybe hasn't gone through those struggles that we have on, you know, saying yes to too many things might not have realized how to say no yet. Yeah. Right. And I think that's the part. So we were chatting ahead of this and you mentioned the 8x growth, which that's amazing. I'd love to see that this year. Last year for us was that stabilizing year. And part of that was me learning to say no and us learning to pass on opportunities that weren't kind of in the trajectory of this company. And I think we probably turned down at least a million dollars in opportunities last year, which would have been good revenue for our company, for most companies. And that's great revenue. And being able to say no to those, it stings a little bit. Because yeah. you're going to say, well, I'm passing up this revenue. But it gave us some clarity and purpose that helped us really solidify the identity of who we are and what we're doing. And I'd say that it's not 100% there yet. It's still in that transitional piece. But it's definitely becoming easier when I'm in networking groups or just randomly chatting somebody up, what do you guys do, that I can get more specific and it's making sense. And they're immediately saying, I need to introduce you to so-and-so because they need your help. Whereas before it was like, cool. And I'm, I'm like, I guess they don't know what we do. Yeah, <laughs> do everything for everyone, I guess is what it was. That's such an important piece, right? So like when you learn to say no first, then you have, you get to the thing that you do, whether that's like a specific service or a specific industry that you serve or whatever it is that you actually say yes to, it makes it so much easier than to speak about mm -hmm. what you do. It makes it easier for people to refer you. It makes it easier to know what to say yes to. And then it gives you more opportunities to say yes, right? Because more things will come down that pipeline. And man, it was a huge lesson for me that I couldn't have articulated that a year ago because I was still in the phase of like learning how to say no and like learning what to say no to. And one of the things that helped me, and maybe this will help you or anyone else who's struggling with this is I took a lot of the things, cause I've, I've got 
20 years of experience in the marketing space. So we've got lots of tools and lots of resources and lots of templates and lots of like, these things work if you apply them in this way in the marketplace. I turned all those into like PDFs and mind maps and like, just like resources that I could hand out to people. And now when I get on the phone with someone who's like clearly a no from like what we're doing, I'd be like, I have things that I can send you. <laughs> and I just send them stuff. I'm like, here's a course that I wrote on this thing. And here's the thing. And they're, and they're, like, they're like, I'll get responses back and be like, this is like a thousand dollar course you sent me. I'm like, yep. They're like, how come you don't sell it? I'm like, cause that's not my business. <laughs> I'm like, I do this thing. We do it really well. And that's all we do. And, and then people are like, you build reciprocity. I get referrals from that kind of stuff. I've been invited onto stages for things like that. Cause they're like, they know exactly what you do, who you stand for. And, you know, they also know you have expertise in all these other areas. So like, that's been really helpful for me is I actually took the time to take a lot of my knowledge and turn them and just like into simple resources that I could send to people when I needed to say no to them. And I still wanted to feel good about it. <laughs> you, you, you said something in there that I think is worth um, pulling out just briefly, because how many times have we heard somebody come along and say, you could make a lot of money. You could make money doing this. You could make money. Do we should do this. We could make money doing this, et cetera. Yeah. There's a bazillion ways to make money. And being able to identify those like a force field, like, no, we don't do that. We don't do that. We don't do that. It's huge. I think where that probably came from the most for me was internal business development people. Hey, I've got something. We can make some money doing this. And, and years ago, you'd be like, yeah, let's sell it. We'll make some money. You don't realize how much that derails your focus as a company when you do that. So I think being able to spot those, we could make money if we did this little distractions and kind of fend them off is something everybody should, you know, be an expert at. And if they're not become one. Yeah. And it's hard too, because like you could make money and then it's always, it's that whole grass is greener kind of thing. You think the grass is greener. Of course you could make money doing this. You can make money doing that. But every single one of those things has a whole set of systems and processes and people and like languages that you have to learn. And there's just so much to it that like, it absolutely will distract from whatever it is that your main products and service offerings are in the marketplace. And this is one, this is big. It's one of the things I tell my kids all the time, at least the older two that are actually interested in business a little bit is business is all about, you know, finding a group of people with a problem. Hopefully they have money and they're willing to spend that money to solve the problem. Right. And then you develop a unique solution to help them solve that problem. And the important part is that unique solution for the marketplace. And so any of those things that don't fit into that unique solution are things that you probably could make money with, but you know, you have to develop all of the things that go around that unique solution in order to move it to the marketplace. And man, that was a hard learned lesson for a long time. And it was one of those things that like in my business, you can look at over the last 15 years, the flatline slow trajectory until we were like, nope, we're going to do nothing but this. And then you see a humongous spike in growth. Right. And it's definitely an important lesson to learn. I think the inverse of it is finding something you're passionate about that's not driven by the money. Right. Because if you're thinking I'm fending up all these people saying you can make money, you can make money, you can make money. But you're like, I'm going to make money, but I'm going to do this because that's what drives me. Now you have, I think, the magic combination. Yeah. One of my favorite phrases is mastery begets passion. And th those can go, they can go both ways, but a lot of people are like, I need to find what I'm passionate about. And I generally would tell people like, passion is a uh, fleeting thing, but if you master something, you can create passion. And so anyways, I like that as a, for me, it's storytelling. That's why we're in the podcasting world. Cause I think storytelling is one of the like foundational, like skills of humanity. It's one of the reasons that makes us uncompetable on the 
you know, Earth's universe, right? Not, nothing can compete with us because we tell stories. And so anyways, like I'm really passionate about that, but a lot of it is because I've spent years mastering it. And, you know, once you master something, you realize, okay, now with mastery, you can develop unique solutions. And when you have unique solutions, you can put those into the marketplace and develop an offer. So, yeah, I like that. And then once you have passion about something, it's like, I could do this forever, whether or not I got paid. And then you realize like, that's how you get paid the most. Right. So That's absolutely right. Spot on. Yeah. So I want to switch gears a little bit then and talk about your common enemy, right? So every superhero has an arch nemesis. It's the things that they constantly have to fight against in their world. In the world of business, um, I like to put it in the context of your clients. And it's a mindset or a flaw that you're constantly have to fight against or fight to overcome so you can actually get your people the results that they come to you for in the first place. So in your world at Meteora, what is the common enemy that you regularly have to fight against? So there's probably three layers to this. Is that acceptable? It is. Okay. (laughs) It's a bit of a challenge. So the first one is typically the client has had a bad experience with someone else and they have this kind of cloud of doom over the concept of marketing and spending money to invest in their business from a marketing standpoint, mainly with lead generation. And it's hard for us to overcome that because there's already this skepticism when we start. The second piece of it, and I'll come back with how we kind of overcome these two. The second piece of it is going to be the fact that we can't control everything on behalf of the client. So when you're doing lead generation, the problem that we often run into is we're driving qualified good leads to them, but maybe they don't have the processes or the personnel in place to appropriately field those and convert them into customers, patients, what have you. And the third one is going to be this concept of, you know, we work with a lot of clients that are in this space where they've got a small marketing team at their business. Typically, they've got to be big enough to kind of have that to, I think, work effectively with us. So if we're dealing directly with a CEO, for example, that's usually not ideal but maybe not so large that they have a team of 10 plus marketing people that can try to replicate what we're doing. Mm -hmm. And the hard part there is often showing that value as they scale and kind of squashing the comments usually from finance that says, well, why don't we just hire somebody to do that skill internally? That'll save us, you know, a hundred thousand dollars or something like that. And those three things crop up constantly with different clients. And it's a challenge that I've tried to overcome by starting those conversations early in the sales process so that I understand are any of those three things going to come up in working with this client and educating about, you know, why it happens, why we're different, how our process is different, where the benefit is, and also kind of coaching those mid-level companies through the understanding that when you hit a certain size, you probably will want to take some of this stuff in-house. And here are the things that I would encourage you to look at kind of in a prioritization standpoint based on the engagement they have with us. And so I've tried to turn those things around from this skepticism or this, you know, I'm not, I'm still not growing, even though you say you're generating the leads and, oh, why don't I just replace you with an internal thing into a chance to help them grow, to educate them 
and to show them that we can grow with you until the point you get so big that maybe you don't need us. And we're okay with that because that means we've succeeded in our job and we're being open with and honest with each other about that journey. I think starting that at the beginning and echoing those you know, conversations throughout the course of the relationship, it helps with the trust. It helps with the transparency. It really allows them to see where our value is. And it does eliminate some of that marketing and sales headbutting that occurs where sales will say, well, I can't close the leads because you're sending me junk leads. And marketing will say, you can't close because your sales team's no good. Like those things can happen depending on the, the type of business. So I think just acknowledging them, getting in front of them and, and trying to do our best to educate the client has helped overcome those more than anything else. I really like the description of the aura of doom around marketing. <laughs> because <laughs> oh, it gets a bad rap it does it, well it's an interesting sort of world because marketing is required but not a lot of people actually understand it and so you have to you know put on your translator cap so to speak and be able to actually communicate about what's happening and why it's important what you're actually doing in the marketplace and yeah it's an interesting sort of skill to have and i like the way that you've approached like all three sort of layers of that because i see that in my own agency where you have like the people at the beginning are like i don't understand why i would do this where does this fit into the marketing world like you know why, how does a podcast fit into you know, because it's not a direct lead gen play. It's a different type of play in your business. And so like we have to be able to educate and talk okay. about how that fits in. And then we have the same thing as like, okay, we're generating leads. I, I, we don't do lead gen anymore, but I remember when we did, um, I had a, we did worked in the dental space for a good long time and we'd have two dentists in the, you know, similar areas and we'd drive the same kind of things for them. And one of them would double their business with the leads that we're doing because they would bring people come in and know how to close them and sell them. And the other person would get nothing. And they're like, you know, your leads are crap. I'm like, but your competitor in the city next to you is killing it with the exact same leads. And it's like, so what's your sales process look like? You have to know how to educate them on that and teach them how to build a sales team and what a sales process looks like. Because come to find out, not every business knows how to have a sales process. And so you can generate leads for them all day. No. Yeah. They don't realize that closing a lead from a lead gen campaign of some sort could be all kinds of different things is going to be different from closing a lead that was a referral or word of mouth type thing that most companies I talk to, like if you ask them, what do you do for marketing, especially small business? Oh, it's just word of mouth referrals, things like that. Closing those is easy. I mean, I, I maybe once uh, out of a hundred, I don't close and it's just because there was a price you know, mismatch or they weren't ready for it or something like that. But Referrals are easy. Getting leads from a lead gen service are a little bit more tricky and you have to have a process and you have to know how to do it. A lot of them don't understand that. So educating them before you go into that, I think is key. And yeah, you know, just being able to so, have those conversations. The way that I do it now is I talk about the four B's. And so it's buy, borrow, build and blitz. And so buy is buying ads, buying leads and putting your stuff in front of people that way. That's what you guys do probably a lot of is the gen lead generation. Borrow is things like mm -hmm. getting on someone's stage or getting on someone's podcast or building a JV relationship with another business. You're borrowing someone else's audience to generate leads. Build, that's what we do at Push Button Podcast where you're building your own audience so you can put offers in front of them. You know, there's lots of different ways to do that. We focus on podcasting. And then Blitz, which is cold outreach, right? Cold outreach on LinkedIn or cold outreach on email. That's actually how you and I met and why we're on this phone call is from that last category. Mm -hmm. And what's interesting to me is that like, the sales process for every one of those categories is dramatically different and has dramatically different timelines, right? So like a, your borrow audience, which is a lot of times where the referrals will come in, right? Where you're, you know, someone else is going to make a referral to you. That's their audience that they're giving to you. And it comes with a lot of weight. And so whether it's a one-on-one -on -one referral or someone has, 
you know, trusted you enough to put them on their stage and to talk to their audience, it's very, it's, it's still, it's a, a similar like referral type relationship. And I'll have people from those type of relationships that will come and be like, here's my credit card, charge me, I will talk later when we get back kind of thing, right? <laughs> like, like the sales process is just like, shut up and take my money. Whereas like you go all the way to the super cold yeah. sides, like the cold outreach and the sales process on that side averages three months from first initial contact to close, right? And so you have to be able to afford that over the, the, the amount of time that it takes to do it. You have to know what your sales processes, your follow-up processes are, but, and you know, know what your lifetime customer value is and whether or not it's worth it to do those kind of things. Like there's a whole process that goes into being able to convert cold leads versus converting warm leads or advertising leads or, you know, anything else. So I totally understand that. <laughs> yeah. The timeline is crucial and they may not understand that. And heck, half the people we talk to don't even understand the lifetime value of a customer. They're, they're trying to run ROI calculations, which we encourage. We want to make sure there's value there that they can understand uh, how they could scale or grow their marketing investment. But they're running calculations on the, the patient or whatever and doing one engagement. But like speaking to behavioral health, often you'll see some place that might have inpatient, but they also have intensive outpatient. And then they may have some type of aftercare beyond that. And if you look at statistical percentages, unfortunately, a lot of people you know relapse and come back to seek treatment again and again. And they're not factoring in all of those averages to understand what getting one new patient really looks like from a reimbursement standpoint. And so being able to kind of educate them through that. The same is true if it's a casual dining restaurant. Like how many times will a new customer come in once you win them over? Oh, they might come twice a month. Okay, well, are you calculating that out over six months to see what it's worth getting that new customer to come see you? Oh, no, I didn't think about it like that. So those are the types of things that if people haven't really been taken care of the right way in marketing, they may not know because a lot of agencies that don't hold themselves to the high standard of accountability that we do of actually proving our value, they don't want to get into those numbers and they don't want to speak to an ROI calculation. And so the customer has never been exposed to it. Yeah. So like just to drive that point home, you know, a dining restaurant, we got a, a restaurant that my wife and I and my mom and stepdad and everything we've been going to every Sunday since I was in like elementary school. So we're talking like 25, 30 years and, you know, average tickets like a hundred bucks every time we go in there. It's like $150,000 of revenue, you know, <laughs> I mean, of course, that's over a long period of time, but still like that's what a new customer is actually worth when you get them for life. And to think it was just the wacky wavel and arm flailing tube man that got you in the restaurant the first time all those years ago. Yeah. Yeah. Something like that. $20 rental on the side of the road. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. So it's uh, the, the last thing that I wanted to point out was the thing that you talked about the third layer, which was being able to know when to have a customer sort of outgrow you. And having those conversations early in yeah. the, what do you call it, early in the relationship. And I've only just started to realize this with ourselves, but I started to realize that like, hey, there's going to be a point in time where it makes more sense for someone to bring these processes in-house. And then started thinking about how do I do a couple of things? One is develop the process so that we know what it looks like when someone wants to do that. And then also turn that into a revenue and educational opportunity for clients. And so like, we'll actually talk to them now all the way back at the initial sales call, where it's like, hey, here's what we do for people. And, you know, we tell people regularly, we don't do anything fancy or secret. Here's what our process looks like. Eventually, you might get to a point where it makes more sense for you to hire internally. And we have like, this is when we think it makes sense. And here's what our process looks like to help you do that. So you can develop those things internally. And so they're seeing that and they're like, oh, these guys actually like, they care about our revenue and our bottom line. And they know, like, we've thought that through. And there is a segment of business that we can build a really huge company with 
that it makes more sense for them to hire it externally than it does internally. <laughs> and then it gets to a point eventually where like, it makes more sense to go the other direction. And so we've turned that into a service, which no one's taken us up on yet. But you know, hopefully we'll get to that point where it's like, hey, we, we have a, a transition service where we can help you hire and train and build the SOPs and take the systems that we're, we're using internally and help you train your team on it. And that turns into both a revenue opportunity for us and it creates that like the customers aren't looking at going looking at us and thinking they're just trying to squeeze all the money out of us, even if it makes more sense. Like that conversation, like the finance person would come back and be like, you know, we could save $100,000. We do this like we've already pre had that conversation. It's like when it makes sense is when you want to pay for these things, because like the thing that we were talking about earlier, the grass is always greener kind of thing. But that involves an investment in systems and people and other things to take it all internally that we've built all of those systems. So like you're getting to benefit from our economies of scale. And so if we educate them ahead of time on like what that looks like and the kind of investments we're talking about and what it would look like to invest in their company to build the same things. Now they can have that dis discussion with their finance person or whoever's making those up and like have an intelligent conversation about it. And because there is a point where it makes sense, but it's a lot later than a lot of people think it is. And because of all the investments in the systems and whatnot. And then when they can have that discussion clearly, that's really helpful, I think. It absolutely is because the, the people, we found ourselves kind of pitching this, oh, well, it, you know, it costs X dollars for one employee to do this skill set, but we're doing, you know, four different things for you and your current marketing investment that actually involves, you know, four different team members on our side because the, the skills are a little bit different. And then try to break that down financially with the time involved and the different skill sets. And then you start talking about, well, then you have to manage that employee, you have their benefits, et cetera. And I realized that was becoming a little bit too, I don't know, it was, it just felt kind of cheap the way it was being teed up as like a dollar for dollar employee type of a thing that I found a better way to kind of package it so that I get the same message across, but more proactively instead of reactively. And I think our position is there, are, especially like in behavioral health, there are going to be a lot of companies that want to have that lead generation as something that they own because most of them involve some type of exit strategy. Yeah. And that's something that's really, you know, appealing to somebody to come in and buy. So you know how to generate all your own leads. You're not beholden to this other company. We want to buy you because you can consistently generate this business. So knowing that you have somebody that can help you generate the business and then simultaneously over time train you on how to grow a department that can replicate that and kind of hand it off and then transition to the point where maybe we're just dipping in from a consulting standpoint to help you know keep your marketing fresh or give you guys like a, a third-party audit every quarter to make sure you're hitting your numbers etc that part of it i think is appealing to them because everyone has the aspiration to grow yeah so every client I talk to more or less is going to say, oh, that sounds like us. Now, the reality is not everyone's going to grow at that rate. So we may be with this client for five years. We may be with this one for six months. It just, you never know. But the common denominator is they all envision themselves expanding and having this internal team. So why not start the conversation? Yeah, absolutely. I love that. I wanted to flip this coin as well, right? So we talked about your common enemy. We spent a little bit on time on that. The flip side of that is, of course, your driving force, right? Common is what you fight against. Your driving force is what you fight for. And just like Spider-Man fights to save New York or Batman fights to save Gotham or Google fights to index and categorize all the world's information, whether or not we like them for that is a different discussion. Uh, but what is it that you fight for in your company? What's your mission, so to speak? Yeah, so it's something that's been tinkered with a little bit more recently. 
And so we kind of settled on the concept of impacting lives by helping the right businesses find the right customers. It's a little wordy. I'm still kind of workshopping it, if you will. But since we like to help people and, and we like to improve lives or impact lives, we have found that if we can identify the right businesses, and for us, that means businesses that align with our core values, innovation, continuous improvement, accountability, authenticity, positivity, that those businesses that I think are doing things for the right reasons, that have a good product, that can add value or change lives, helping them find the right customers means that we're helping those people too. And so that could be true whether it's food and beverage, it could be true if it's behavioral health care. Behavioral health care is one that it seems to be the most obvious when you think about it, because not all treatment facilities are created equal. Some are in it purely for profit. And I often view those as kind of a, a revolving door um, where they're happy to write the you know, prescription for medically assisted treatment and just keep somebody coming in and collecting that check from them or from insurance reimbursement. And I feel like they've never really gotten to the core of helping that person. And then there are other businesses that really treat, you know, not just the symptoms, but the underlying causes that can impact that life or change that life. And I know that if I can help, you know, find somebody out there that needs help and match them with one of the good guys, there's a significantly higher percentage chance that they're going to get the help they need to change their lives and kind of get things turned around as opposed to finding the wrong one and getting turned around in the revolving door, I guess. Yeah. Um, it's very similar to, uh, what we talk about a lot of times when, you know, every time we do our company meetings, I I go over our core values and one of our core values is that the work we do has a, a ripple impact and it's got a ripple effect on, on the world because we're not just helping our clients. Every time we help our clients, because we're what we're doing is we're helping people get their story into the world or helping businesses get their story out is it impacts all of their clients and it impacts the referrals that they get, it impacts a lot of their business. And so, you know, we might have 30 or 50 or 60 clients at any given time, but the number of people that our work impacts is in the untold thousands, if not tens of thousands, right? It's huge. And like, that's one of the things I love about business in general is that it's not an you you can't see all the impact of a good business it impacts you know like in our case one of the things that like i count regularly and talk about all the time with you know my wife and my family and whatnot is the number of people for whom our revenue puts food on their table right and it's not just our employees it's our employees and their husbands and their kids and the families and the communities and stuff like, like that their work has an impact on that and so like there's just such a huge impact of running a good profitable business that helps people and that helps anyways. I love that. <laughs> I guess that's my point. <laughs> Feel the same way. It's, it's touching. Well, we just got out of the holiday season and, and my favorite holiday movie is It's a Wonderful Life. And I think that's one of the underlying tones that you don't realize often how many people you impact that they just may not be telling you on a daily basis, but that you've changed their lives for the better. And it could be clients, employees, people you bump into randomly. And so I think your ripple concept really speaks to that. Yeah, I had one of the reasons I got into business in the first place. I was like 17 years old and I'm listening to a entrepreneur speak on stage. And I swear he looked at me right in the audience of 30,000 people in my eyes. It's only option. And he was like, one day you're going to have kids and your kids are going to have a hero. And if you're not worthy, it won't be you. And I remember (laughs) thinking that at 17 and being like, wow. And it's true, right? And I got four kids now. And there's a lot of, one of the reasons why I got into entrepreneurship and business as early as I did was 
that concept of like, I want to be doing something that has a positive, like a big positive impact on the world because I wanted to have, I wanted to be worthy of whatever, you know, I wanted to be worthy of my kids looking up to me. <laughs> if that made sense. And that was before I was that's even a, dad. That's a, it's a big yet simple, easy to grasp goal that is harder than I think a lot of people realize. Yeah. Yeah. It is definitely harder. <laughs> and, you know, it's been a lifelong sort of goal of mine is to just be, to be worthy of the influence that you don't know you have. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah. Which is a shameless plug. I want to give you a shameless plug. What's the shameless plug? If you're good with it. I'm here for shameless. Well, I was just going to say, like, we're here on your show. We've talked about maybe doing a show together, which I think is great. I'm all for it. My team used to tease me when I would make videos. I started doing them during COVID, doing, you know, kind of like little five minute videos or whatever. And they said, oh, they're so goofy or whatever. Like nobody likes those things. But then we looked at the data and they were just giving me a hard time. But the, the reality was every time I produced content like this, where I was able to talk about something, to tell a story, to get in front of people, I would usually get two or three referrals the next week. And that's just from my business, right? I think the problem that a lot of people face is they're so busy doing their day-to-day -day stuff that they aren't telling their story. And if you can help them tell the story, I know from personal experience that getting it out there, while you may not think that people watch it, and they may not watch 30 minutes or an hour thing, they may not, but you're still getting in front of them. And the few people that do or the tidbits that they get, they're going to have an impact and it's going to help get the message out for your business and have a positive effect. So that's my shameless plug for you that I think it works. I've seen it work. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, just to continue that little bit, one of the things that I talk to clients all the time about, because they're like, you know, they're used to working with a lead agency like what you guys do is we spend dollars, people click on links or they click on ads or they do something and then they, you, you, it's very trackable. And then, so like when we start talking about storytelling in the marketplace and how storytelling impacts their marketing, they're like, well, how do we track that? And I'm like, it's really difficult to track uh, because you'll have someone who may not even ever interact with your content. Right. They'll just like every single day they see you in their feed and they're like, oh, there's that guy again talking about, you know, talking about real estate in Temecula. Here he is talking about real estate in Temecula, talking about real estate in Temecula. And you're not interested in real estate in Temecula because you're not buying or selling a house. But someone buys or sells a house every seven years in the United States. Right. And, you know, five years down the line, he's seen you every single day when, <laughs> talking about it and skipped past you. And then suddenly now he's got a problem. He's got a kid coming on or getting married or something changes. His work changes. Now he's got to buy and sell a house. You're the face that he mm -hmm. knows, right? And so it's really hard to track how effective that is because now when he goes to search for a real estate agent, he sees the three different agents you know, at the top of Google, one of those faces he recognizes, <laughs> right? And it's yours. 100%. Yeah. That's why we love working with companies that have this type of content because it gives us the ammunition we need to put our stuff out there. You know, and then the early stages of lead gen, we're always trying to fill, like get the bottom of the funnel people and then work our way up to start backfilling it with more and more stuff. Having content like this gives you, I think, a more longevity in your pipeline of getting people that you're working that, you know, months later are going to maybe pay off for you sometimes weeks later in some cases. But without that content, you're always stuck just paying whatever you can get from the Googles of the world at the bottom yeah. of that funnel. And you're absolutely right. That recognition is key. What I think is worth pointing out in addition to that is that using the realtor example or the real estate agent, you know, there's a lot of people out there that are posting constantly that are doing that kind of stuff. 
the ones that just kind of post the same thing over and over, you tend to become annoyed or you want to tune it out because yeah. it's like just, but the people that have fresh content, even if I'm not watching it, it to me subconsciously is telling me, man, they're really, they're killing it. They're going places. If I need to buy or sell, I'm going to call them because they're, they really know what they're talking about. They've always got these, you know, videos they're posting and that, that look great. I think that's the difference. Yeah. So it's it's got to be not good. just about posting junk. Yeah, it's got to be good stuff, right? And so like uh, the real estate example is actually someone that I know and Temecula in particular and like what they actually do is they go out and they they interview every single restaurant owner in the town, right? Every single week they got a different restaurant owner that they're interviewing. They interview all the school board people. Mm -hmm. They interview all of the people who run the the doctors offices and all the chiropractors and all of everyone in town. And so like they're and they're constantly talking about their community because they're like, this is the community that I live in, that I live and breathe and love. And they even go to the playgrounds and they're like, he brings his drone out to the playgrounds and he reviews the playgrounds and he reviews the the hiking trails and he reviews like the, there's one that's got a waterfall on it and he's like, he goes through and he does whole things on it. So like the content is good, but like as a real estate agent, like he wants to be known as the one who knows the community. And so like he, he's got the biggest real estate agency in the community because he's creating that content. And he's not creating tomorrow's leads or the next day's leads. He's creating his leads for two years down the line. And that's right. Yeah. It's really interesting and super potent. So yeah, anyways, I agree with the shameless plug, but you know, <laughs> I, I guess I'd have to. Hey, it's worth saying. <laughs> well, yeah, but you know, there's, I've seen the value in it. I know there's value in it. Um, you know, and I think you mentioned you have clients that are like, oh, they may want to take the stuff internal or whatever. I think on the front end of it, you have clients saying, well, why can't I just do this myself? Well, a few years ago, I paid a, a local place to help me do some podcasts and I made that decision. Oh, I think I'll just do it myself. And as soon as I did that, guess what stopped happening? I stopped making podcasts and I stopped producing that content. Why? Because I didn't have somebody that was helping make sure that I was doing this and doing the busy work. You know, you would record something and then it would sit on the hard drive forever and you wouldn't edit it and cut it up. I think what you're offering helps people overcome that issue because without it, they probably aren't going to make the content. And if you're not making the content, guess what? You're not getting in front of people. You're not getting the benefit, which I agree with. That's actually why we built no. the, that's why we built the offer in the first place was because I had a, my previous business, we had a whole playbook that we'd walk people through. And the last sort of step of that playbook was like how to build your own podcast. And I would give the whole playbook, like, these are all the things you should do in this order, in this way, processes, checklists, everything. And our clients that would do it, we see tremendous success. And the ones that wouldn't, obviously wouldn't see the same level of success. And when I tried to figure out why, why like some people would and some people wouldn't, the people who would, they had a team of people that they could hand the playbook to that would implement the work, that would do the work. And the ones who didn't have that team of people mm -hmm. because it's hard to do. So our solution to that was obviously just to, to build the done for you service. So those clients who didn't have the team to do it could, they could get the work done and get the benefit from it. The Hero Show will be right back. Hey there, fellow podcaster. Having a weekly audio and video show on all the major online networks that builds your brand, creates fame, and drives sales for your business doesn't have to be hard. I know it feels that way because you've tried managing your show internally and realize how resource intensive it can be. You felt the pain of pouring eight to 10 hours of work into just getting one hour of content published and promoted all over the place. You see the drain on your resources, but you do it anyways because you know how powerful it is. Heck, you've probably even tried some of those automated solutions and ended up with stuff that makes your brand look cheesy and cheap. That's not helping grow your business. Don't give up though. 
The struggle ends now. Introducing Push Button Podcasts, a done-for-you service that will help you get your show out every single week without you lifting a finger after you've pushed that stop record button. We handle everything else, uploading, editing, transcribing, writing, research, graphics, publication, and promotion, all done by real humans who know, understand, and care about your brand almost as much as you do. Empowered by our own proprietary technology, our team will let you get back to doing what you love while we handle the rest. Check us out at pushbuttonpodcast.com forward slash hero for 10% off the lifetime of your service with us and see the power of having an audio and video podcast growing and driving micro-celebrity status and business in your niche without you having to lift more than a finger to push that stop record button. Again, that's pushbuttonpodcast.com forward slash hero. See you there. Now back to the hero show. So anyways, I have one last question for you. I'm going to skip a couple of our normal ones because we already hit an hour of our time, but it's your writing principles. And one of the things that makes heroes heroic is that they live by a code. For instance, Batman never kills his enemies. He only ever puts them in Arkham Asylum. So as we wrap up the interview, I want to talk about the top one, maybe two principles that you live your life by. Maybe something you wish you had known when you first started Meteora 20 years ago. Oh my God. The first thing that came to mind was actually something that I learned when I was practicing martial arts many years ago, and I was involved with that for 17 plus years. It was a big part of me becoming, I think, an adult in a lot of ways. And it was one of the tenets, do the right thing when no one else is looking, integrity. That one is really important to me. And it's not even mentioned, oddly enough, in our core values, because our core values are used to be differentiators for us and other companies. Because I like to think every company operates with integrity, but I think the reality is we know they don't. Yeah. We're very privileged to have received the Better Business Bureau Torch Award for business ethics. And I feel like that's significant because in our business, in you know the digital world, especially in the earlier years, the clients didn't have any knowledge of what was happening behind the curtain, so to speak. They're blindly trusting companies like us with their budgets, with their money. I couldn't tell you how many times I saw other vendors you know, raking clients over the coals with timelines and, you know, lying about even simple stuff like, oh, I think you just need to clear your cash. It's actually fixed. And it wasn't. And they just hot fix it. And then you can see the timestamp that they lied. And it's just all those little things add up. And I think that for me, it's just trying to do the right thing. Even sometimes if it's painful for you, you're going to lose a client because you're going to be honest about something or, you know, you're going to, you know, that you may not lose that business, but you're going to have 20 additional discussions and explain this until you're blue in the face because you're going to tell them the truth instead of kind of sweep it under the rug and just move on to the next thing. I think that's been one of the driving pieces is that I want to make sure that these people aren't being taken advantage of, that they're getting what they're paying for, that they're being treated with respect. And probably no industry has more of this kind of corruption almost than the behavioral healthcare industry. Just having seen that over, I think we've been 15 out of the 20 years involved with that particular industry. So many of the vendors involved are, you know, one man operations, maybe it's somebody that's in recovery that at some point sought treatment there and maybe their intentions were good. But when you really dig in and look at it, they're not even investing the money on Google that they're getting paid, they're putting it in their pocket. Or, you know, I saw a company doing an audit one time that was, you know, they were taking the ad revenue, buying ads for their own business, driving the leads to their own call center, selling those leads back to the other business, 
at like a 50-50 rate. So half of them they would redirect to them, half of them they would sell back to them. So it looked like they were getting some from their ads and some from there, but they're double dipping using that. I mean, it's just, it's horrible to see. And so my goal is I'd like to get more of those people that come to me before they get burned by somebody else. But at the same time, I'm happy to help the people that have been burned or you know look under the hood and see if they are getting burned. It's just, I think that's the one thing that, that really drives me. Yeah, I love that. And one of the things that you'll probably appreciate is, you know, we're on 250 episodes or so for the Hero Show. And I ask that question all the time. We never skip the Guiding Principles one because I think it's important. And one of the things that has struck me is probably 90, 95% of our the people that I ask that question to, they respond with some variation of integrity as being a guiding principle for their business. And you realize that while it is certainly true that there are, and you know, this is probably more in some industries than others, but there is, there's certainly the businesses that don't operate with integrity. A lot of businesses really, it's a foundational principle for them. And, and I love that. And I know that like, particularly in the digital marketing space, it's so easy to not operate with integrity because of, you know, that stuff we were talking about earlier, the whole translation world is, it's a world that a lot of people don't understand. They don't understand the ads. They don't understand you know, the SEO, they don't understand the coding that goes into some of it. And there's just, there's a lot of technical garbly gook that unless you understand technical garbly gook, it's easy to be hoodwinked. And, you know, even in something simpler, like what we do with the podcasting, there's a lot of effort that goes into what we do, right? A lot of labor effort. And like, we regularly get asked, and like, I actually had a discussion with, with a pretty high profile business owner the other day. And she was like, you should charge more. And I was like, I was like, I know I could charge more. And I know other, she's like, other agencies are charging twice what you do for, and doing half of the work that you do. And I was like, mm-hmm. I understand that. And I was like, but part of the difference is like, I'm, our pricing is both a competitive advantage, but it's not just a competitive advantage. It's like, we are leveraging really good systems and we're building these things and we have our pricing where it is because it is more commensurate with the value that you can get from this. And so I was like, the conversation I ended up having with her, because she was like, she was adamant that I should charge more, even if I was going to charge her more. And I was like, listen, this is what you're paying for the service over here and getting half of what we'll do for you and less quality and less consistency. And I was like, but if you take all of that and we run it like, here's what we're actually going to charge you. What I'm going to do then is give you coaching and education, how you take that difference in budget and put it into something that's actually going to move the needle, which is, you know, putting advertising dollars behind your content and talking to a legion agency who's going to be able to really take all this content fodder that we're creating and move the needle in a big way. But I was like, if I was charging you double what we're charging, you wouldn't have the budget to do that. Right. And I was like, and so like, it's an interesting conversation to have because there's a lot of agencies that are in our world in the content creation world that because it's a labor intensive thing and it's hard to measure what that labor costs, they'll charge two or three or four times what we'll charge to do the same work and not understand where the ROI is because they're just, you know, either they don't have, you know, they have to charge that because they don't have the systems in place to do it at scale. So that's just what their labor costs are, or they're just charging significantly more than they should. And it, it's, you know, it goes right back to that integrity thing. And, you know, I guess everyone has their own view of it, but it's definitely an interesting world to be in. Yeah. I think the, you make, give me an idea, like the, the biggest area that I think most businesses are getting scammed currently that I've seen is search engine optimization. Mm-hmm. They're paying for it. And many, I'd say half the agencies that we audit, they're literally doing nothing. They may have done some on-page work. They're not doing any link building. They're not doing any content creation. They're not really doing anything at all. And it's a line item on an invoice that's just going into their pockets that they think they're paying for. And it can be a 
it's a labor intensive component if you're doing it right and it can be profitable. But kind of like you said about, I'd like to see you reinvest those funds into something that's going to move the needle. I'd like to make sure that whatever my customers are investing in is going to have the best return on that investment. And I had one last week say, I'd like to do this. Can you quote it out? And I had to explain to him on a call that was, they were very appreciative of. I said, I don't think that's your play right now. I'd like to charge you more money. Believe me, I'd, uh, everyone wants to make a little bit more money, but that's not what's going to help your business. I'd rather see you succeed here. And why don't we explore that you know, at a later date when it makes sense? And her response was, I thank you so much because every other agency I talk to is really just, yeah, we'll do that. Yeah, we'll do that. Yeah, we'll do. And they just take, they want to get as much money as they can to hear somebody say they don't think I should do that because it's not a good investment right now was refreshing. So I think the integrity thing, people that do it probably get the benefit benefits of that more often than they realize. Yeah. And it's a game changer for sure. And I know if you can honestly talk to people about what you do and what the costs are and show people your processes and stuff like that when they care, right, that and you can be like, like, listen, this is, you know, <laughs> this is why we charge what we charge this is how it fits in. And one of the things I've noticed, too, is like when you're especially like in our world, we're talking to other business owners, you know, where our profit fits in and how it fits into our model and how it fits into our pricing and stuff like that and show them that like, hey, this is what we do. This is what our margins are. This is how we operate. So like we can, you know, afford to put food on our table and that kind of stuff. And it knows like we're going to be here next year, right? Because we have a profit to be here next year. <laughs> like businesses really understand and appreciate that kind of stuff. And then realize that like, I'm not just charging you to charge you. I'm not just telling you this is what you spend your money on. And, you know, anyways, a lot of that goes right back to just operating in integrity. And it's one of the things that I regularly use in our sales calls that I'll tell people is like, we don't have, there's nothing cloak and dagger about what we do. And I was like, if you want to, and anything that we do is an open book. If you want to see our systems, you want to see our processes, you want to see the checklist that our team uses to operate on your account. Like you can see all of it, like, <laughs> because it's just execution. We're going to execute for you. That's what you're paying us to do is execute. And I was That's like, right. so anyways, and it goes right back to this, just operating in integrity. And so I have... One more, I agree. one more question for you before we uh, finish this off. And it's called the Heroes Challenge. And I do this on every one of my interviews. And basically, it's I call it do this to get access to stories we might not otherwise find on our own. Because not everyone is out doing the uh, podcast rounds like you and I might do. So question is this. Do you have someone in your network that you think has a cool entrepreneurial story? Who are they? First names are fine. And why do you think they should come and share their story with us on the Hero Show? First person that comes to mind for you. Okay. So I want to make sure that I get... Oh... You put me on the spot. It's a gentleman from my Vistage group, and I want to make sure that I get this. Can you? Yes. I feel bad because you put me on the spot, and I see this guy, you know, once or twice a month for the past two years, and all of a sudden my mind is blank. His name is Christian. And if he sees this, he's going to be mad that I couldn't remember his name on the spot, or you can edit it out. <laughs> so he's one of the smartest people I know, and he's in a very traditional industry manufacturing and support of industrial air compressors, things like for assembly lines and stuff like that. But he's got a completely separate business that they started within the company that involves the internet of things and some really cool monitoring stuff that is growing. And I think it's a fascinating story because he's, he's really trying to figure out how to grow this other business that's very different from the, the main company that he is involved with. And his approach on it is pretty unique. And some of the things that he's encountered along the way of doing this over the past two years, I think that he's kind of kicked it off, have been insightful. And so I'll let him determine what he would like to tell 
out of that because some of it might be, hey, this is behind closed doors and some of it's, you know, okay to tell the public. But it's one of those situations where you have somebody that's gainfully employed, probably has some ownership, traditional industry, making lots of money, works with big companies that's now also got a startup, if you will, a tech startup going on within it and probably some ownership there as well and you know their skin in the game so to speak and just seeing that happen it's not every day i see those situations it's usually either i'm in the traditional business world and i'm going to keep doing what i'm doing or i'm going to go and start up and raise money and do whatever to see both of those happening at the same time has been fairly unique to to see from the outside that's really awesome. Yeah. And so we'll reach out afterwards and see if we can get an introduction to him. Maybe he'll come on the show and say hi. Not everyone does, but when they do, we get some unique stories that you know tend to be end up being fun episodes. So in comic books, there's uh, always the uh, um, crowd at the end who's cheering for the uh, acts of heroism. So our analogous to that as we close is where can people find you? Where can they uh, light up the bat signal, so to speak, and say, hey, Andrew, I'd love to learn a little bit more you or your company. I think more importantly than where is who are the right types of people to raise their hand and ask for your help? Yes. So you can find us on our website at Meteora.com. I'm also on LinkedIn as an individual and as a company, Facebook, you know, any of the social media platforms we're accessible on. Those are probably the best ways to get in touch. The people that we would like to speak to are people that are comfortable investing five, 10, 15, $20,000 a month. If you are around that $5,000 range on your lower side, but you're thinking about getting into it or increasing your marketing spend. It's there's no shame in giving us a call. We'll see if we can figure out a way to kind of get you eased into it with the aspirations to grow so that if you're growing and the money's there, you'll invest more, et cetera. So it's mathematical at that point. And these are people in a variety of different industries. While we do have some niche B2B stuff, like I said earlier, that we're great at, unless it happens to be one of those niches where we've got it locked in, which is you know companies that are selling to government agencies, I would say B2C lead generation is our expertise. As I mentioned before, hospitality, food and beverage, legal, attorneys, accounting, things like that. We have a lot of expertise, finance, a lot of regulations there. We have it. But the biggest one is going to be your healthcare and more specifically your behavioral healthcare. The industry knowledge there is probably deeper than the others. And yeah, I mean, if you're looking to grow your business, attract more customers, do it in a, a very measurable way. We'd like to talk with you about it. We've had clients that, you know, spend six, seven million dollars a year with us before. So I don't want you to think that if you're that size that we can't work with you. But the reality is you should probably have somebody in charge of marketing at your business, but maybe you don't have that full team or you've got a gap. And that's where we can slide in and help augment that team that you have or be the team that you don't have until you can establish one. Absolutely. Thank you so much for coming on to the uh the show today and telling your story and just letting people get a glimpse behind your curtain, so to speak, and see what it is you do and how you operate and just the you know place of integrity you guys operate from. I know, particularly in the digital marketing world, there's a lot of, you know, like we talked about earlier, of that cloak and dagger salesmanship that happens. And so it's nice to see companies that are operating the way that you do. So appreciate that. Appreciate getting to hear, you know, your hero's journey a little bit today. Do you have any final words of wisdom for our audience for hit this stop record button? Uh, no, just keep doing it, man. Some days are easier than others. Some days are hard, but never give up. Awesome. Thank you very much for being here today, Andrew. Thanks for having me on the show. I've really enjoyed it and appreciate it. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of The Hero Show, where we work to shift the cultural narrative around entrepreneurship and celebrate the heropreneurs who make our world a better place. Don't forget to visit our website at theheroshow.tv. 
where you can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, or via RSS, so you'll never miss an episode. If you found value in our show, we'd truly appreciate a rating on iTunes. Or better yet, share it with a friend to help us spread the message of entrepreneurship as a force for good. Curious to learn more about the stories and insights of these incredible heropreneurs? Check out our in-depth interviews and resources on our website. Together, let's support and inspire the next generation of entrepreneurs as they embark on their own heroic journeys. Join us again next week for another episode of The Hero Show, where we'll continue to explore the world of heropreneurs, their superpowers, and the positive impact they bring to our lives. Until then, stay heroic.